Hi there, my name's Rob Verkirk. I'm here with my colleague Melanie to talk to you in this CoronaCast about the controversial subject of masks as we move into the more mature stage of the COVID pandemic. Mel, great to have you here on our latest CoronaCast, albeit socially distanced. Let's cut to the chase and dissect this knotty subject of mask wearing or face coverings, as some people like to refer to them. We've been tracking all of the science on it, and let's get an update on where you're at with this knotty subject. Hi, I'm Melanie Aldridge. Well, Rob, as you know, it's been an area I've had a really strong interest in ever since the idea of masks or face coverings was first mooted. And that's probably because I've had my own issues with lung and immune function in the past. And as a practitioner, I see a lot of people who have less than optimal lung and immune function. And the process of exchanging air with the outside environment via our nose and mouths is actually a very carefully balanced process in the body. And it's linked not only with cardiovascular function, but also with mental and immune function as well. So I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if you put an obstruction over your nose and mouth, you start to interfere with a process that's evolved over millennia. And it could have knock-on effects pretty much throughout our entire system. Mel, I agree with you absolutely. I found one study, for example, that suggests if you use a WHO standard type N95 mask that's equivalent to the European standard FFP2 mask, as recommended for healthcare workers by the WHO, it causes a 122% increase in inhalation resistance and 126% increase in exhalation resistance. Put that together and it amounts to about a 37% reduction in the air volume exchange. Mm. There are other studies that show that wearers have an increase in fatigue. And when you look at a study specifically on emergency doctors, it reduced their ability to perform important functions like delivering effective CPR in a simulated uh, context. The reduction in air volume exchange also causes a reduction in the amount of oxygen transported um, by hemoglobin. And one study done with surgical masks showed that there's around about a 2% reduction in blood oxygen saturation if you've been wearing the mask for a couple of hours. Now, we've done some studies ourselves in in the office using a simple um, pulse oximeter. um, And uh, we found that If you start at about 99% or 100%, we'll get down to 96%, as low as 96% if we use um, the the thickest kind of mask. And uh, some of these cloth masks are are really, uh, do provide a lot of resistance. Um, So if you're already older, so you start with a lower blood oxygen saturation level, and then you have a restriction in your breathing, such as having and COPD, you could really make matters a lot worse. So Mel, before I ask you about some of your other concerns, tell us some of your feelings, practical feelings about wearing a mask. Um, Comfort, discomfort, um, what about wearing glasses, what about makeup? Mm -hmm. Well yes, from a comfort point of view and air resistance, there are huge differences between the masks. So here are some of the ones next to me that I've tried before. Um, starting with the surgical, the simple surgical mask. So this is really one of the most comfortable, as you would expect. Um, And they seem to provide the least resistance in airflow, although it created the worst steaming up of my glasses. 
And then you've got the simple fabric ones that are very similar to the homemade style that you buy in Amazon. You can throw them in the wash quite easily, but it ends up being quite tight over your mouth and nose. And I found that really quite claustrophobic personally. But the by far the most restrictive mask um, of the ones that we tested was this one that's got the little air filter on it, um, also from Amazon. And um, it measurably reduced um, the blood oxygen, my blood oxygen saturation level as well as Rob's and a couple of other people in the office as well. So we used the pulse oximeter to test it and it was taking it down by one to four points. We also found it increased your heart rate by about 10 beats a minute after you've been wearing them for a while. And um, they also steam up your glasses and all of the masks make it quite difficult to sit your glasses properly on your face especially if you wear very focals like I do and suddenly you're not looking through the right viewing point. So um, they can make you overheat very quickly if you're already in a warm place and I really found that that added to the feeling of claustrophobia for me. So um, I also felt a noticeable increase in stress levels quite quickly if I'm having to wear them for any length of time which of course has another suite of downstream health effects as well to take into consideration. Absolutely, I'd agree with that Mel. Um, huge difference in comfort and also in practicality. But what's really concerning is that the science is so inconclusive on any of the benefits for the general population outside a healthcare setting. And that's where you have a, a you know, healthcare settings where you're gonna have high viral loads and, and of course the science is much more robust in that area. But because the science is so inconclusive for the general public, we're kind of meant to be more predisposed to wearing a mask because it's all about solidarity. And um, this is where I really struggle. Imagine a 75-year-old woman who is already, because of the age, starting to have reduced um, oxygen transport issues, so lower saturation, say 95 or less, but also has a lung problem such as COPD. Now, if they're forced to wear a mask to get on the bus to do the weekly shopping, I've got a bit of an issue with having solidarity with a situation that causes that. Um, so that could put someone into a hypoxic state if their starting point is low. And of course, silent hypoxia is one of the things that's also affecting people who are infected with SARS-CoV-2. So people have been showing up at hospitals with very low blood oxygen, sometimes below 90%, which is when there isn't enough oxygen reaching the brain and when we're at risk of not making the right decisions. But weirdly, these people aren't feeling like they've got a low um, oxygen level. So that's why it's called silent hypoxia. So what happens when someone has the virus who's been induced by the virus into a hypoxic state, then they need to put on a mask and they start recycling their own virus because the mask is there, but possibly also sucking it deeper into their lungs because of the restriction in airflow. Absolutely, there's, there's definitely a risk. Um, it's one of many of the risks that actually isn't being discussed by governments who are increasingly deciding that mask wearing, despite all the controversy and the inconclusive science, is one of the things that will help extract societies from lockdown. But there's so much more to it, isn't there? Um, there's a great study we've been looking at, um, looking at doctors and healthcare workers showing that even a simple surgical mask like this one um, will increase the number of headaches that wearers you know, have. And of course, if you're a doctor and you're performing really important life-saving operations, that, that is an issue. 
That's the thing that worries me. What happens when someone's been wearing a mask for an hour or two and they just can't handle it anymore? They're on a train, they're on a public space. Are they just going to follow the common cold and flu mantra for, for tissues, which is catch it, bin it, kill it? Or could they just leave their mask lying around and then contaminate a bunch of other surfaces that could be contacted by others? And what about the fact that people who wear masks tend to also need to fiddle with them a lot and touch their faces a lot more? So we know that that's associated with more transmission as well. So a damp mask is going to be a reservoir for all sorts of pathogens, viruses, bacteria, and then you're touching the reservoir, you're getting contaminated on your hands, especially if it's just fabric covering like the governments are recommending rather than a, a proper surgical mask. So trying to stay on top of these additional sources of contamination from mask wearing would require a whole lot more hand washing than people are already doing. And hand washing, as we know, comes with much more robust science and is a more important way of reducing transmission than wearing face coverings. So are people going to wash their hands even more or are they going to end up using more antibacterial gels and thinking about the microbiome when all the antibacterial gels are used as well? And then what happens to public conveniences as well? Could they end up being contaminated as hospitals? Yes. Um, I mean, the science is really <clears throat> marginal for benefit among the general public in community settings. And more than that, most of the studies are based on perfect conditions good masks used in the right way, disposed of properly or disinfected safely. It's quite different in some cultures, say in China or the Far East, that have had many years mm -hmm. to adjust to mask wearing, especially since SARS in 2002. But trying to get good hygiene practices fully operational in the Western world is really another thing altogether, in my view. Um, it sounds like there's a bunch of downsides that aren't really being talked about much. Um, before we go on and draw some top line conclusions, is there anything else you want to add now? Well, yes, I've got to say with my psychoneuroimmunology hat on, that I'm not just concerned about the risks to the wearer or the risks to others from less than ideal hygiene, but I'm also really concerned about the way that masks completely interfere with one of our most fundamental methods of communication. And that would be our non-verbal communication that comes from reading, reading each other's faces. So, you know, most of the subtleties of the non-verbal world that we live in um, is that we demonstrate a lot of that through our faces. And when you wear a mask, that's lost. And anyone with an iPhone will know that because your face recognition doesn't work. So this is really important for children, but it's important for all of us. By losing touch with strangers, we're less likely to be able to connect with them in time when all this is over. And that's okay if mask wearing is a flash in the pan. But if it becomes really serious, it's destined to become part of the new normal. And having already lost the ability to touch one another, now losing the ability to read nonverbal cues makes us even more isolated in a world in which social isolation is one of the biggest challenges for mental health. So what about the deaf or the hard of hearing that need to lip read? I think this is incredibly important, but it isn't seemingly a priority. And I also mentioned the immune system at the beginning of this chat, and that's because up to 20% of our microbiome is actually a virome made up of viruses. So when our systems are in balance, these viruses are really beneficial. But once you put stress on the system, particularly in the form of reducing oxygen, you risk bringing them out of their dormant state. 
So I'm also really concerned that wearing a face covering for a significant number of hours will also have impacts on our immune function as well. I mean, the, the list of challenges just seems to be getting ever longer. It also shows how multidisciplinary mm. or transdisciplinary this whole issue is. You can't just come at it from the point of view of the science on transmission, because you've got to take into account human physiology and behavior, um, the biology, not just of this pathogen, but also any others that are going to develop in Mars. You've got to look at different human cultures. You've got to look at learning processes. And then you've got mental health, the psychopathology of mask wearing. Um, so you've got to put all of that together. So perhaps it's a good time to try to pull some of the views we've been talking about together. And the first thing we can agree on is that putting a barrier in front of our nose and mouths interferes with a range of very finely balanced processes. It decreases our blood oxygen saturation level. And this could be a problem if you're older or you have lung disease. And because you're being pushed into oxygen debt, we also know that the heart rate increases and our core temperature goes up. Um, which can make people feel uncomfortable and could reduce our ability to make good decisions. Um, that's an issue of your operating machinery, for example. Then there's the issue with more headaches among those who are wearing masks for several hours in a day. But moving on, there's also evidence um, that's pretty limited and somewhat inconclusive um, if you use a balance of evidence approach for using masks for the general population. And on the other hand, it tips in favor of using a good quality mask like an N95 or FFP2 mask in a healthcare setting, um, especially if there's a high risk of, of COVID infection. But the evidence doesn't apply to the general public in the community settings, especially when you take into account some of the problems that arise. There's huge variation in the quality of different masks and some of the non-medical masks, especially if they're worn for long periods and they're not disposed of or disinfected properly, um, actually could increase the risk of spread in the community. For some people, particularly those with um, a greater susceptibility to respiratory infections, the risk of exacerbating those infections, both COVID and others, becomes greater if you're forced to wear masks. I just want to finish off really on a couple of key points. Because the science around benefit in terms of reducing transmission is so marginal, it's really important that people understand that other non-pharmaceutical measures like hygiene and sanitation measures, hand washing in particular, are really important. Um, and they're actually a lot more important than mask wearing, as is not touching, not touching the face. And this leads to, to the point that, you know, we can really see no scientific basis at all for mandating, for making mask wearing um, compulsory, um, especially in community settings or in public transport. For some people, it could actually present a real additional risk, not just to them, but it may actually increase the risk to others as well. So it's definitely not compulsory mask wearing from us here at the A&H. Finally, Mel, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, as you've hopefully gleaned from Rob's and my discussion, this is a particularly thorny issue. 
and it's got a lot more complexity to it than just looking at perfectly conducted studies under ideal situations. We've got some real concerns, especially for the mandatory use of masks. And we're not the only ones out there who feel like this. It seems that a lot of politicians who are busy making decisions based on inconclusive scientific evidence, they seem to be forgetting to consider some of the basic biological processes that keep us all healthy, as well as human behavior and social behavior. It's like they've just parked the extraordinary array of indirect effects that come out of what appears to be a simple policy of forcing people to wear masks in public, in public places or on public transport, because it's just easier that way. But unfortunately, it's just not that simple. So thanks so much for watching and listening. And if you like this video, please give it a thumbs up. And if you want to find more videos like this, please do subscribe to our channel on YouTube. So that's a really big thanks and a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. See you next time. Bye. Bye.